This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, it's all Oshkosh, starting with Redbird and their new training app. And Avidine goes big. A new airplane being teased from Vans. And Garmin helps us out with Smart Glide. Finally, Icon is moving to the big leagues. And if you can hear me from AirVenture, are you ready to do some hangar talk? Let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, counterattack final 132.4. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. All right, welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. Listen, if it gets loud, y'all just need to know I'm over here outside at AirVenture and uh, the T6 has just finished performing. <laughs> You're the lucky one. I'm sitting at home on my desk. So, David, now you flew in. Is this the first time you've flown into the show? It's the first time I've flown into this show in a really long time, Ian, in over 20 years. And I flew in on the, the Fisk VFR arrival. And, Ian, it was a little bit easier this time because there were some VFR reporting points that are actually on the sectional, and you can plug them into your GPS. So on one hand, it was easier. On another hand, it was hard, and it was pretty stressful for me. I flew with my flying partner, Eric Blenderman. He's a relatively new private pilot. He acted as my eyes and ears, did the uh, radio calls and everything. And we were just so excited to be here. But, you know, as a private pilot, it is a tough deal flying in here. You really got to read up on the notams. You got to hold your elevation and your airspeed. In fact, one of the air traffic controllers on the ground in a nice Wisconsin accent was like, Hold your elevation, 1,800 feet, 90 knots. No cheating, no cheating. So if someone <laughs> broke in front of you, she would say, all right, you go back to the end of the line. It's six miles past Endeavor and start all over. And and we were sweating, Ian, because we, we had come in through the... To so uh, the this, penalty box. Yeah, you get sent I to know. the penalty box. <laughs> <laughs> but we did it. We did fine. And I channeled my best Dave Hirschman formation flying on and off the throttle, on altitude, on glide, slope. And I was just very happy with my landing, and I want to say I pretty much nailed the yellow dot. So there you go. All right, right on. Now, AOPA obviously has a lot of stuff going on this week at the show, but one of them is we're talking about the LODA, which, of course, we've talked about on the show, and this is the requirement that 
you get an exemption to give or receive flight training in your own experimental. So what's what's going on with that, David? So, Ian, we've reported on this on Hangar Talk several times already, but AOPA is having a call to action. So I wanted to let our, our Hangar Talk listeners know about House Bill 4645 and Senate Bill 2458. This is legislation introduced by our friend Senator Jim Inhofe and Representative Sam Graves, and it's trying to bring some clarity to the FAA's regulatory framework with respect to compensation for flight instruction, which we've been talking about for a while. And this all came up with the Warbird Adventures case, but the FAA has interpreted this slightly differently for general aviation pilots and instructors. So we have a call to action. What does that mean? Well, get in touch with your congressman and let them know that you're a general aviation pilot, an AOPA member, and a constituent. Here's a phone number. Can I read it to our folks real quick? Let's have it, yeah. Call 202-224-3121 and urge your congressmen and U.S. senators to support H.R. 4645 and Senate Bill 2458. This is a safety issue, and Mark Baker and the AOPA leadership are, are squarely behind getting this sorted out. So 202-224-3121, a call to action. Let's do it. Okay, cool. And also, before we get to the news, our guest. So we're going to have on in a few minutes, Greg Marinak. Greg is the secretary for the XPRIZE Foundation. And David, he's going to tell us about how everything that's been going on in the news right lately with commercial space, how that all started with a GA flight. Well, that's very topical. And we need to tip our hat to Tom Haynes, who did some heavy lifting on this to get Greg. And we're really excited he's going to be here. So really looking forward to hearing what he's got to say about that XPRIZE and starting it out, getting us into space exploration on the private side. All right, cool. So now let's talk about the news. It's been a busy show, obviously, first one in two years. So first, you know, Redbird always has an event prior to the opening of the show. And this year they debuted a new app they have. Very cool. This is Redbird Pro. And it's geared to make you, let's say, keep you on your toes a little bit with your flight training and proficiency. So, Ian, I I sat in and saw Todd Willinger, the CEO, perform this with CFI Nicole. And what it does, Ian, it brings in artificial intelligence. And so it kind of, you know, the simulator kind of starts to learn how you fly and what you're trying to do. And then it challenges you of course, to do better. Now, now Todd was doing an engine out that he didn't know when it was going to happen. He flew out of Catalina Island, which I've been to before. I, I can't remember if you've been there or not, but it's a challenging airport on the best day. And so he was trying to negotiate back to that airport, the Island in the Sky Airport, after an engine out. And uh, the Redbird was was teaching him some new lessons, if you, if you don't mind me saying. It was hard to do, Yeah. but he got better at it. And that's what you want. You want to Get yourself up to speed, challenge your proficiency, and get better at what you're doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, Josh Harnigal, the the, uh, vice president of marketing, he had a great quote. He said, it's basically the opposite of Amazon. So Amazon says, well, if you bought this, maybe you're going to want to buy this, right? A lot of online shopping does that. He said, "This this is the opposite. We basically say, well, you're pretty good at this, but what you really need to work on is this. And so it's like your digital mom, right? It's like you really need to eat more vegetables. Yeah, like a digital mom nag. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. So it will be subscription-based. I think it's about 16 bucks a month for VFR content and $20 a month for to include also the IFR. 
Yeah, it's an interesting way to go, and uh, the AI is the key. I think we'll hear a lot more about it, and uh, just by looking over their shoulders, it is something that I think will help a lot of pilots. You know, I've been doing IFR flight training myself, and I look forward to maybe picking some of that up, too. Uh, I like that proficiency. I like that AI, and I like the unknown factor of when something weird is going to happen. Uh, you just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, hey, want to move on to Avidine. Uh, we don't talk about them terribly often. A lot of Big-time fans of Avidine out there. Now, they, of course, they came out with the first glass cockpit airplane in a Cirrus, and now they're coming out with an update to that. So, Ian, the interesting part about this is it's almost a, a 12 by 12. So you're looking at getting 12-inch primary and multifunction displays for this, those early Cirrus airplanes, and they're going for $12,500 each. That's why I was saying 12 by 12. Yeah, right. A thousand an inch. I love it. Exactly. There you go. Well, that's a good way of looking at it. You know, $12,000 is nothing to sneeze at for real, but if you can upgrade that airplane with a 12 and a half inch screen and, and two of them for $25,000, mm-hmm. you pretty much are upping your capability to the level of, of some of the aircraft that Cirrus is making you know, right now. And 12 inch displays for situational awareness, that's awesome. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. It is huge. So it can integrate, obviously, with our IFD line of navigators. There are, you know, I, I know a lot, of course, we talk about the Cirrus perspective, and, you know, that's what's on Cirrus's now, this this Garmin system. But there are 4,000 Cirri out there flying on the Avidine displays. And so for 4,000 owners, these are going to be, I think, a really nice upgrade. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, like you said at the top of the segment, the Avidine was the first real digital, full-capable digital panel. Mm-hmm. And that was in those early Cirruses, you know, those 2,000-year model Cirruses. And really the SR20, if I'm not mistaken, had, had had come out with that. A lot of folks probably still have an SR20, not the 22, but the 20. Yeah. And so with a little bit of a lower price airplane and, and still it's a couple of bucks to get it installed and everything, but... That brings that airplane up to modern standards, and it, the situational awareness that we have these days is just bar none, way above what we had 20 years ago. Yeah, that's right. So one thing I think to note is that if you don't want to upgrade and you want to keep that Integra system that uh, the airplane came out of the factory with, Dan Schwinn, the CEO, says we're not starting a process of forced upgrade. They're going to continue to support that Integra. I think that's that's big. But if you do want to upgrade, it looks like it's going to be some really nice capability. Not out yet. They hope to have it out, I think, next year. But they're working a little bit on the install process now, hoping to get it down somewhere between like 40 and 60 hours. But uh, definitely keep an ear out for those. I think they're going to be big sellers. Good technology update, Ian. So, David, the other end of the spectrum, Vans Aircraft, you know, sitting in your garage, bucking rivets. The last RV to be released was the RV-14, and that would make the next airplane, big surprise, the RV-15, and uh, they teased it this week. That's right, Ian, and the RV-15 is the RV-15 of a different color. First of all, it's a high-wing airplane. That's unusual for those folks, but it's gonna be really interesting. You're talking about a a backcountry-capable high-wing airplane. What could be better than that? Yeah, that is very cool. So they, they haven't talked a lot about when it's going to come out, what it's going to cost, that sort of thing. They did say they're not being coy, that they're just still working on it. And I think owners and builders are going to have a choice of either a tailwheel aircraft, which will be the first design, or a nosewheel aircraft. And we know from from prior experience with other Cubs that a nose gear Super Cub type type airplane is pretty doggone popular and relatively easy to handle if you have the right aircraft. Yep. 
Yep, that's right. Now, one thing kind of buried in the story here that I just think we have to talk about because it, it totally blew my mind. You know, we know that furniture sales and, you know, second house and all that stuff is up during the pandemic, right? Also, apparently, kits from Vans, their business is up 250% in two years. David, they are selling 85 kits a week. That blows my mind. And they've expanded the factory from 72 to more than 100 employees, 113 employees as we record this. Yeah. So that's pretty darn strong. I like hearing that. It's great news in the aviation economic forecast. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, they just a couple of years ago, they celebrated their 10,000th airplane. So, man, at this rate, they're going to double that in two or three years. So that's great stuff. All right. One thing I'm really excited about is from Garmin. Smart Glide. Now, you and I, we love obviously Garmin Autoland. We talked about it on the year end wrap up show. Smart Glide is what we were hoping for from uh, Autoland. You know, Ian, you're right. When we were reminiscing about this uh, at the end of the year, we were thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if some of the Autoland technology trickled down to other GA applications? And here we have it just a, a software upgrade which is free, F-R-E-E, for Garmin GTN XI series navigators. That'll, um, if it's uh, compatible, that'll put you into the Smart Glide capability category. And it is really a cool function. If you have trouble, it looks at the wind, it looks like the direction you're traveling, your altitude, and kind of figures out where is the best airport for you to point your airplane to. Now, I don't think it'll actually fly your airplane there unless you've got an autopilot hooked up to it, but you at least know where you're going to go, where you should go. Yep, that's right. It's kind of taking the best functions of the autopilot, taking the best functions of those, you know, the, the range rings that we see on apps now. Yeah. And putting it all into one system. So, yeah, you activate the system. And if you, you're right, if you do have the Garmin autopilot installed, it will pitch to best glide, turn to the airport, fly right towards it. You have to do the landing, of course, but it's kind of like auto land, but you haven't been incapacitated. Really phenomenal idea. I really think this is the way to go for the future. I'm really excited that we're finally seeing this kind of technology trickle down as we had hoped it would. And again, apologizing to our Hangar Talk listeners, we've got the air show going on here at Air Venture, which is pretty exciting. But you know, I, I can see Smart Glide being a huge help to just about anybody that has some of the technology already in that aircraft. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll talk more about this in the future, especially as we get a chance to try it out. Finally, finishing up the news, there will be more later in the week out of, out of the show. But for now, Icon, I think they came out with a, let's call it a bit of a surprise announcement that they're going for a type certified version. Ian, that was really a huge surprise. I just sat in for a few minutes to a morning uh, news conference, and you know, Dave Hirschman has been all over the Icon story from the beginning. But Icon indeed announced today that the Icon Amphibious A5, there will be a certified version of that. They expect FAA certification by the fall, F-A-L-L, of this year. Yeah, that's amazing. It is amazing, and uh, as the price will be $399,000. Okay, nothing to sneeze at. But the hope, Ian, is that, that that aircraft will be certified by the FAA, and then folks who want to travel to other countries, like the Caribbean, like Mexico and elsewhere, can now do that. And then that will lay the groundwork for EASA and overseas. Exactly. Yep, and that's exactly what this announcement's all about, because as an LSA, you can't, you know, you can't really get it in other parts of the world. International, obviously, a huge market, potentially. 
for a lot of manufacturers, it's 50%, let's call it, of their market. So it's a big deal. And I think will will definitely help their sales. Now that is not the only news they had, Ian. To be honest with you, don't forget, they're also going to have uh, bold new colors for a couple, <laughs> a couple of their aircraft. Of new paint scheme. We kid each other a little bit, but if you if you if until you see this lime green A5, uh, you hadn't seen anything. Nonetheless, there's actually going to be a couple of new models uh, available, or some tweaks, if you will, from the A5. One is going to use that Garmin technology that we were just sort of talking about before, the uh, the G3X technology, and that aircraft is going to sell. I've got a price for that real quick. I'm shuffling through everything. The G3X Light Sport Edition with the G3X Autopilot is $385,000. And then the Light Sport Edition with the Garmin 796 is $359,000. Icon Aircraft Vice President of Sales, Marketing, Flight Ops, and Service Warren Curry said that he did expect the Garmin 796 to be the most popular model. He noted that the certified editions, like I said, would allow owners to really travel in their amphibious airplane and get out to the Caribbean and elsewhere. Yeah, very cool. I think that's a good good uh, deal for them. A great step forward. So, David, I think it's time to let you go back to work and you know file some stories and take some photos. But in the meantime, let's bring on Greg Marinak, uh, as we said, the secretary for the X Prize Foundation, and really the the beginning of what we now know as the commercial space industry. So with me here today is Greg Marinak, who is the uh, secretary of the XPRIZE Foundation. And Greg, it's fascinating what's been happening over the last 10 days or so with all the hoopla around the battle of the billionaires and going into space uh, with, uh, of course, Richard Branson doing it last week in Virgin Galactic. And this week we've got Blue Origin going up with Jeff Bezos on board. And it's really exciting to see the commercialization of space. But to those of us who have kind of followed this thing for, well, a couple of decades. We know that back in 2002, there was actually the first sort of private space flight of putting an astronaut, a civilian astronaut, into space twice within uh, just a couple of weeks. And that was, of course, Bert Rattan with uh, scaled composites and Spaceship One and White Knight and that sort of thing. Very exciting time. And part of that was driven, of course, by the opportunity to win the Ansari X Prize, $10 million for achieving that. And, and of course, Scaled Composites went on, on to win that. And you were a co-founder of the X Prize program. So tell me a little bit about that and how that all came about and, and how it relates to what's happening this during this really historic period right now. The X Prize Foundation was actually born from GA. My co-founder, Peter Diamandis, and I had been working in the space business for about a decade when in the mid-90s, he came to visit my home up in uh, near Princeton, New Jersey. I had been running the Space Studies Institute. And it was a beautiful day, and we decided to scrap our plans of building a robot in the basement with our kids and instead renting a Cessna 172 out of Princeton Airport and flying up the Hudson River Corridor. And Peter had been a student pilot for about five years at that point. He'd soloed, but 
got occupied with getting his medical degree and taking his medical boards and starting a couple of companies. So he hadn't flown for a while. And when he saw the beauty of Manhattan, he had an ear to ear grin and it induced me to fly him over his boyhood home on Long Island. By the time we landed back at 39 November, he was bouncing off the walls with excitement. And he's saying things like, I'm going to finish, Craig, I'm going to get my license. Of course, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I've heard that song before. But a couple of weeks later, I was with my uh, family in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And in a little bookstore, I chanced across a dusty copy of Lindbergh's Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Spirit of St. Louis. And I bought a copy for, for Peter. My kids said, why are you buying this, Dad? You have two of these at home. I said, it's for your uncle Peter. Maybe it'll get him to finish his flying lessons. Because I had read it as a 14-year-old and was taking flying lessons a year later. Well, when Peter eventually read it, he learned for the first time that Lindbergh had been pursuing a prize in 1927, the Ortigue Prize, $25,000 for the first nonstop flight between New York and Paris. And we had been constantly stymied in the space business by the universal belief that only governments could do space flight. So we decided to try to destroy that paradigm by using the old aviation trick of offering a big prize, which we did in 1996. And as you mentioned, Tom, it was one in 2004 when uh, Bert Rutan's Spaceship One, funded by Paul Allen, made two flights within actually five days of each other. The second one being on the anniversary of Sputnik, October 4, 2004, and gave them a big check for $10 million in November. And within a few months of that, the FAA had, although they've been working with us for several years on this, they un unveiled the rules under which Bezos and Branson, both of their companies, are going to apply today. Well, pretty amazing. So tell me more about how it is that the prize itself came about. I mean, you, you had the pattern of the Ortega Prize with Lindbergh, and how is it that you established the $10 million, and, and where did all that come from, and how did you set the rules? Well, we actually spent about a year and a half establishing the rules. It turns out prizes sound easy, sort of like everybody knows the business model for a restaurant, pay money and get food. That leads some people to think that restaurants are easy, but they're, they're really hard. So are prizes. <laughs> but we spent the time to consult with everybody in the space business. And we had a deep background in that, have worked in it for collectively for about 20 years. And we were joined by astronaut Byron Lichtenberg, who had his own large body of knowledge. And we were trying to figure out a place to locate our new foundation. And a friend of ours who had run the Challenger Centers had just moved to St. Louis and said, come and tell this story in St. Louis, because they talk about Lindbergh as if it happened last Tuesday which we thought was hyperbole, but is not. And it, it's quite amazing because we were walking around St. Louis, Peter and I, saying to people, give us $25,000 and become a member of the new Spirit of St. Louis organization, and we will make private spaceships happen. And it sounds not so crazy today, <laughs> but, but in 1996, it was significantly crazy. And when you think about it, imagine a young 25-year-old in 1920 six or 27, doing something similar, saying, I'm going to cross the Atlantic and I'm going to do it in a single engine airplane because he understood the real risk parameters. And it turned out Lindbergh was a consummate risk mitigator. And the Lindbergh saga actually helped XPRIZE in one of our toughest times. 
we spent the whole eight years from from ninety six till two thousand four raising the money for the prize person, the prize operation. But at one point, we we lost our title sponsor when the internet bust happened around two thousand. And Eric Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh's grandson, who was mm -hmm. one of our directors, had talked with me about possibly recreating his grandfather's flight path that the Spirit of St. Louis with a modern light plane. And my response was to try to talk him out of it. I said, you've got a nice wife, a nice young child. Why do you go 2,600 miles over wet stuff? You can only get rest in the last 50 miles by helicopter. Otherwise, you're coming up by boat if you're looking to see a boat. And Eric had some good reasons. The best one was that he had, he had suffered from rheumatoid arthritis. He said, I want mm -hmm. to show people, kids, that if they're suffering from something bad, there, there's hope. So he got me with that one. I agreed to become his flight director. And the money that we raised doing that flight saved XPRIZE and got us into the era where we met Anusha and Amir Ansari, who agreed to be our new title sponsors. And uh, that's why the XPRIZE is called the Ansari X-Prize. Yeah, fascinating. You know, I, I love one of the quotes uh, on your website that sort of explains it. It says, rather than throw money at a problem, incentivize a solution. I think that's, that's a really interesting thing to think about, how it is that uh, you can inspire people to go out and come up with creative solutions to problems. How important was the $10 million, do you think, to Rattan and the, and the Scout Composites team to actually do this project? I mean, were they, I don't know what they spent on it, it probably was more than that. And I just wonder, did they really do it for the money or was that just kind of gravy and something, uh, you know, sort of a something to achieve by winning that prize? Well, the reason we put up 10 million originally was because no one knew who we were. So it was it was designed to get people's attention. Had we been NASA offering that prize, it's possible people would have done it for no money. Paul Allen and Bert Rutan spent about two and a half times the value of the prize to achieve it. And in fact, they wound up essentially giving the money to the people that developed the spaceship. They split the money up in a very nice way. Paul Allen actually flew the whole team from Scale to Composites and their significant others to St. Louis for the ceremony where we gave the money away. But you're right, Tom, the power of prizes is phenomenal to cause people to focus attention on, on difficult challenges. Humans are wired this, this way to, to respond to challenges. And in our space prizes, for example, the Google Lunar X Prize, you got a group of teams that resulted in the first private space vehicle to get out to lunar orbit. And it was trying to make a soft landing on the moon. Instead, it made the first private lunar crater. But I just learned <laughs> the past few days that Space IL, our little team in Israel, has secured the funding to make another try at it. Mm -hmm. And NASA has agreed to buy commercial services from several of our teams that, are, that created their systems in response to our prize. So you're right. It's, it's a supremely powerful technique, not just in 1927. Or 2004. In fact, we just announced in the last couple of months a $100 million prize for carbon removal from the atmosphere. It's funded by Elon Musk, who has been a director of the X Prize and has funded some of our other education prize work. And that is very meaningful for aviation because, in fact, the X Prize Foundation and the Lindbergh Foundation have teamed up in something called the Forever Flight Alliance 
and we're looking at how to make aviation permanently sustainable and, and how we transition from where we are now to a net zero carbon world and eventually a true zero carbon aviation world, including fast and ultra fast travel and long distance travel. Mm-hmm. And so what are, the, what are the prospects for that? I mean, it, that's a lot of money, but these projects are very expensive. Do you think that that's enough to inspire somebody to, to take actions that they wouldn't otherwise take? History tells us that it absolutely is. And in fact, our first Carbon X Prize, which just recently concluded, which was looking at how to make useful products from the carbon atoms going up the flue stacks from coal and natural gas power plants, was the largest prize ever offered. And we had teams from all over the world and governments jumped on it to create test centers so that people could plug into real gas test stream. Big deal. So we have we have direct evidence that people will be attracted by these prizes, not just in the US, but around the world. And we believe that human ingenuity is the, the greatest resource and the best chance we have to save the biosphere. And that's the reason that uh, people like Jeff Bezos are doing the space flight they're doing. You know, people are trying to characterize this as some kind of uh, ego-driven race between billionaires. But Bezos was a high school student when he read the same book that messed my life forever. The book's called The High Frontier by Gerard O'Neill. And it's the reason I lived in Princeton. O'Neill was showing us the way that humanity can use the energy and material resources in the ocean of space that surrounds the Earth to tackle problems of limits to growth and preserve the one unique phenomenon that we see in the whole universe, which is a living biosphere. We got the only one. Fascinating. So, so tell me about your flying experience. I understand that you're a fairly new flight instructor. How'd you get into aviation? Well, uh, among other things, I, I read The Spirit of St. Louis as a freshman in high school when I was 14. And uh, about a year later, I was one of those kids that was working all week at crummy jobs to pay for 45 or 50 minutes of dual in a Cessna 150. And I soloed uh, just a little bit after Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and Mike Collins journeyed to the moon on Apollo 11. So I've just had last year my 50th anniversary as a pilot, and having had my life transformed thanks to aviation and things like the X Prize that resulted from it, and having met some of the most interesting people on the planet, most of you know, um, yeah. I decided that I'd like to personally make a, a little dent in the problem of all the young instructors getting scooped up by the airlines by becoming one of the elders out that <laughs> like nothing more than to introduce young people to aviation and not so young people. Yeah. And so you've got a student that's pretty close to getting her certificate, right? Yeah, she just soloed uh, recently, and I'm hoping to get her finished up before she goes off to an aviation program in Carbondale, Illinois, Southern Illinois University. Yeah. So what's the, the, the nearer term future look like from an aviation standpoint? We see a lot about electric aircraft as a solution, hybrids, uh, that sort of thing. What, what's your vision of what the sort of next generation of aircraft looks like? Well, you know, it depends on what you mean by aircraft. As you know, for training purposes, we could, we can, and, and in fact, have have a couple of potential options right now for electric training planes. Pepper's mm-hmm. new one is, is sort of the first EASA certified plane. 
And that's perfectly wonderful for, for banging around the pattern and, and doing short haul hops. The problem, as, as uh, all of us, I think, are mostly familiar, is the energy density of battery systems versus their weight. Aviation is uniquely constrained by mass and volume issues, and chemical fuels like gasoline are roughly about 50 times as energy dense as, uh, say, lithium-ion batteries. So there are some neat things like uh, the work that Ampere is doing uh, and others. Plenty of interesting work on battery-powered aircraft for for relatively short hauls and hybrid aircraft that could use chemical reagents like hydrogen and oxygen from the atmosphere in fuel cells. And that would be great for regional scale aircraft and, and it's possible. The real difficulty comes when you try to do long distance missions like we do with turbojet aircraft today and, and the missions of the near future, uh, supersonic and even faster than supersonic flight. It's certainly technically possible. In fact, I like to show my students how Belgium during World War II used ammonia to power its bus system, because you can burn ammonia in combustion engines. Mm. And the pictures I have look like it's from World War I instead of World War II. And I said, imagine an airplane powered by ammonia. And of course, they, they're envisioning something of the vintage of a Curtis Jenny. And then I show them a picture of Neil Armstrong leaning against his shiny X-15, because that's the fastest airplane in the world was powered by ammonia and oxygen. So ammonia, which uses N, nitrogen, instead of C, carbon, as the attach point for hydrogen atoms, is a possible future. And that's the kind of stuff that the Future Flight Alliance is looking at. How can we make these alternative energy-carrying chemical fuels available to to aviation? There's some even more exotic-sounding stuff that's come out of the space program, like beaming energy with lasers or radio frequency energy so that you take the weight of the energy producer off of the aircraft. And there have been demonstrations, small demonstrations, small-scale demonstrations of systems that could eventually be used for ultra-fast point-to-point travel, where you could go from one part of the Earth to any other part of the Earth in less than an hour with zero carbon. It's possible. It's typically an economics problem. Wow. So in other words, another problem may be solved with with money. (laughs) And or, and or prizes. Right, exactly. Oh, fascinating. Okay. What about you personally? You know, you've been a member of the XPRIZE uh, Foundation since the very beginning. And what do you feel about this? I mean, do you, do you feel like you're really a part of history with uh, the way these programs have evolved and the things that you've accomplished? Yeah, it's really been a privilege to, to work with people ranging from you know, Apollo astronauts to some of the, the people around the world in other countries that are making these things happen, we've all been privileged to live through a very exciting time. And, and you know, watching Bezos's group and seeing Wally Funk, who was uh, involved right. with one of our prize teams, and, and just how excited she was. Right. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. We've been, we've been witnesses to a terrific period in human history. And, and although we face some serious challenges, the climate change challenge alone has been characterized by, by folks as uh, requiring an effort as big as World War II, but with everybody on the same side mm. to combat it. That's fairly accurate. But we can do it. We have lots and lots of things that, that we can bring to bear on the problem if we have the will. And that's why we do what we do at XPRIZE. Yeah. All right. 
Well, thanks for sharing your your thoughts with us and expertise, and for your leadership on the on the X Prize, which helped make possible the uh, remarkable flights that we've seen happen in just the last Thank few days uh, for commercial space. Thank you to AOPA for making it possible for all of us who love flight to continue to hatch these kind of crazy schemes. Yeah. All right. Well, it's great to hear that general aviation connection to the to the X Prize that kind of made all this happen this week. So. Uh, thanks again, Greg, for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you, Tom. So, David, since we were last recorded, Jeff Bezos and Wally Funk and the others did launch and make it back safely were you did you watch the launch i did ian we have our normal morning meeting at the same time and everybody tuned to it yeah um we were real really cheering for wally funk you know we talked about her on the hangar talk not long ago but that is quite the accomplishment and um it just paves the way for things to, to come in the future. It's really exciting news for anyone who's an aviator. Let me tell you what, I'm over here at AirVenture. You know, it's real noisy right now during the afternoon air show. But a lot of the young people i talked to specifically mention the private space shots as encouraging them to get into science, technology, engineering, and math studies and to perhaps pursue aviation and aerospace careers. So, yes, people are paying attention, and it's a, it's a great step forward. That's fantastic. All right. That's all the time we have for this week. David, it's time for you to get back to work. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk and wherever you can get your podcast, whether they're Apple and Google. And a quick shout out to our audio engineer, Austin. Thanks for being with us all through these years. Ian, we're getting ready to start the sixth season pretty soon. Fantastic. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.